This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis and my co-host is my amazing service dog, Lovey. And we're excited to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, as you know, working dogs and working animals. And today we are welcoming Dr. David Crenshaw to our show. And Dr. Crenshaw is the clinical director of the Children's Home of Poughkeepsie, New York, and he's also an adjunct faculty member. He has such an amazing history of experience. He's taught graduate courses in play therapy at Johns Hopkins University and Columbia University, and he's published so many wonderful articles on child and adolescent therapy, child abuse and trauma, and resilience in children. And he's also a member of the professional advisory board of one of our favorite organizations, Courthouse Dogs Foundation. So come right back after these quick messages as we welcome Dr. David Crenshaw to the show. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're thrilled to have Dr. David Crenshaw with us today. Hello, David, and welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, well, we're thrilled that for you to be here because we love your work and know about some of the amazing things that you've done and just can't wait for you to tell our listeners about it. So first of all, tell us, Basically, what is a facility dog in the first place? Well, facility dogs receive the same training as service dogs do. In our program, we've had a relationship with ECAD, which stands for Educated Canines Assisting Disabilities. 
and they're reasonably close to us in Torrington, Connecticut. And they offer these dogs about two years of training before they're assigned to either a person of disabilities or a veteran who's had uh, combat uh, injuries or perhaps uh, PTSD, and those dogs are assigned to a, a veteran. And in some cases, they're assigned to a program, a facility like ours. So they have the same training as a uh, service dog, but instead of working with one person, they work with uh, all of our youth and our staff. And so the dog is here for the facility. Fortunately, we have three of them now. Wonderful. Yeah, big shout out to ECAD. And they've been on the show, Lou. We are a huge Lou fan. And ECAD is so wonderful. And I just, wow, and you guys have three now. Well, well, tell tell us, David, what is the process? So how did you get your first dog? And yeah, what did you have to go through? What was the process? Well, you know, this all came about quite unexpectedly. We needed a dog to accompany an adolescent girl in the courtroom in a criminal trial. This was back in 2010, and the trial actually took place in the summer of 2011. And uh, we knew this uh, youngster would not be able to testify on the stand because she could barely talk about her abuse with her therapist that she had been working with for the better part of a year. So the idea of her getting up on, on the stand in an open, crowded courtroom, we just knew that that was asking the impossible. And so I went to uh, Louisville, Kentucky for a play therapy conference, a national conference in October of 2010. And there I learned that in some states, they were using highly trained dogs to accompany children to the witness stand and help them stay calm enough and feel safe enough that they could then testify. I was just blown away with the idea, never heard of it. So I came back to New York and um, contacted our our district attorney and said, uh, you know, this is something I heard about. Do you know anything about this? And they didn't. They hadn't heard of it, but they were open to trying, looking into it. So they eventually decided, even though there was no precedent, it had never been done in New York courts ever before, that they were willing to file a petition. And Ellen and and Celeste, of course, with Courthouse Dogs, were very helpful in this whole process. And thank the Lord, the judge ruled that uh, Rosie, which happened to be, (laughs) which happened to be Dale Picard, who was the executive director. No, he's the founder. Lou is the executive director. It was his personal pet because Rosie had been retired and had not worked in the classroom at Green Chimney School for several years. But he said, uh, you know, we'll bring her out of retirement. I think she can do it. And sure enough, she did. She accompanied the witness to the stand. And she was on the stand for more than an hour. She was able to withstand some very difficult 
cross-examination and uh, with Rosie's help. And, and to this day, she'll say she's in her 20s now, uh, married and has some children, uh, two children. Um, she'll say to this day, I couldn't have done it without Rosie. So that's how we got started. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rosie, was, <laughs> Rosie was on loan. It, she wasn't our dog. But soon after we gave her back, Dale called me and said that uh, he has her sister, Ivy, who had been with a combat vet who suddenly died. And he said, we'll donate her if, if you want to have your own dog. And so Ivy came. She was, uh, let's see, she was uh, nine years old at the time. And uh, she became our, our first. Wow. At nine. That's really yeah. amazing, David. Yeah. That she was nine. Yeah. She had worked with this combat vet uh, the whole prior seven years. And uh, so obviously this was a huge change for her. And we found out within a matter of a couple of months that she actually was quite ill. Unbeknownst to us, she had uh, Lyme disease oh, and, uh, and uh, damage, significant damage to her kidneys. And our vet said, you probably will only have her a couple of months. She lived almost two years. And the reason she did, she loved her work. She would uh, come into the building and run up the stairs to where my office was. And if I was someplace else in a meeting or something, she would just sit there at my door till I came back. She was ready to go to work. Mm. And uh, she loved her work. The kids loved her. Her name was Ivy, and she was just... uh, Oh, Ivy. That's yeah. that's so it though, right? If you have that purpose, yeah, yeah. then it gets you out of bed and gets you ready Absolutely. to go. Yes, yes. Wow. She lived with her um, primary handler and her handler told me on the, because she was sick, we only had her come three days a week. Or actually, after a while, we cut it to just two days. But on the days that she worked, she knew. If, you know, if it was Tuesday and Thursday, she knew on Tuesday that she was coming in. And when Sherry would let her out in the morning, she would just sit by the van waiting, <laughs> waiting yeah. to go to work. Yes, yes. Well, I know the whole industry of facility dogs and courthouse dogs has really evolved over even just the last five years. It's yes. been amazing to see all the changes. And, and yes, Ellen and Celeste at Courthouse Dogs, they've been great and helping to formalize the process. Absolutely. And I know there's so many agencies now in the country that are training, as you said, not only service dogs, but courthouse facility dogs and as you know assistance dogs of the west here where i am in new mexico that trained lovey yes um, that they are really one of the leading organizations in the country training courthouse facility dogs it has really taken on a whole it's a whole new industry really that's right in fact when uh, rosie went to court in 2011. New York became the 10th state that permitted this. Uh, Celeste tells me now there are 41. 
yes. states. Yes. So just in 10 years, it's quadrupled. It really has. And I know in our state, how much now it's almost expected. You know, people are really, it is becoming, yeah, that, that you have to have it because you, <laughs> the people you serve are like, what do you mean? Yeah, that you don't have a dog. But it, <laughs> it is really amazing. And also, Celeste and Ellen have been doing a lot of things internationally, you know, Australia yes, and England. Yeah. That's I mean, right. Canada. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Europe. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty amazing how it how it is evolving um, throughout the whole globe because of the impact. I mean, so so you guys, you say you have three dogs now. When did your organization get more formal with it where your your staff or your are as handlers as they're called are trained? Of course, uh, you're right. The handlers go for special training before the dogs come come home with us. So we've trained a lot of handlers over the years that we've been doing this. Unfortunately, of course, some people don't stay with the program. So uh, when we have turnover, we lose some of our handlers. Um, so it's something we have to keep renewing. But when Rosie was here for that long period, getting those kids ready for trial, because we had another trial uh, involving two little girls um, that I was working with closely, um, and Rosie helped us with those two girls, getting them ready for court as well. Uh, but during that time, we discovered uh, the incredible benefits of not just uh, having a dog to go to the court with the kids, but in therapy sessions, the kids felt uh, more open and safe and trusting and could communicate more effectively. So we felt we just have to get our own dog. And uh, fortunately, the community has been very, very generous. This is not something that we can charge to uh, our contractors, the different departments of social services that contract with us to treat their children. So we had to raise private money, but we've never had any trouble doing that. The community has just been incredibly generous. Well, and I have to tell you, David, I have been writing those into grant proposals and getting dogs funded for some of the clients that I work with. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I think that is becoming, you know, something that is more accepted and funded. Sure. But we sure. had some good luck getting some dogs funded for some, just like your organization for victim service organizations, district attorney's offices, and domestic violence programs and sexual assault programs as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what a difference that yes. the dogs make. Oh. Yes. situations like that. Yes. Well, David, we are going to take just a quick break. But when we come back, I want you to talk with us more about the wonderful article you wrote, um, 20 Ways Facility Dogs Benefit Youth and Therapeutic Residential Care. I love that. And, and have some questions. Definitely, we want to talk about that. So we're going to take a quick break. So come right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. We're visiting today with Dr. David Crenshaw and talking about facility dogs and courthouse facility dogs. And before the break, I shared with you that Dr. Crenshaw has written a wonderful article called 20 Ways Facility Dogs Benefit Youth in Therapeutic Residential Care. And just wanted to to talk with you about that, David, because I loved your list of 20 and you start out at the beginning with the intake process of when some child even comes into a facility. So tell us about that. How do you use a facility dog to go through an intake? And for some, for our listeners, that's what intake means is whenever a child is first coming to an organization to get assistance, they go through what the industry calls intake. So yeah, David, tell us, how to, what's a great way to use a facility dog in that process? Well, the three ways that find the dogs almost always benefit our children is number one, helps kids feel calmer, helps kids feel safer, and helps them to feel more trusting. So a child coming for an interview in the intake process is going to understandably be nervous and anxious. Uh, we expect that. But as soon as they see the dog, come in the room, they relax. There's a touch of home for them when they see the dog and particularly how friendly the dog is and how welcoming the dog is. It doesn't take long to get them in a place where they can feel relaxed and easier to uh, to talk with us. So that's yeah. one. But the interesting thing is a lot of these benefits we didn't anticipate We've just discovered them as we go along. And I don't know when we're finally ready to finish this paper, whether it will be 20 or 30 or 40 or maybe even 50 benefits, (laughs) because we just keep discovering new ways that they help our kids. Well, I want to ask you, David, how do you know or how do you make the decision to include a dog and introduce a dog to a child? Well, you know, very, very seldom do we have a child who's fearful of the dog. But if that were the case, then I would obviously be very uh, reluctant to bring a dog into a situation until we've helped them uh, desensitize and unlearn that fear. One of the wonderful things about these highly trained uh, dogs is that they don't rush kids. They don't jump on them. They don't lunge toward them. They simply wait for the child to approach, and then they'll allow the child to get sort of comfortable with them 
in, at their own pace. And so they might start out by just a, a brief petting on their back. And then little by little, they want to hug the dog or, or pet the dog on, his, on the top of his head or, or uh, be in front and then look at the dog in the, in the dog's eyes or have the dog shake hands with them. Just little by little, we've, I can't think of an exception to this. The kids so quickly unlearn whatever fears they might have had about the dog. So we use them in all kinds of situations where we anticipate that the child will be anxious. One of the big ones, of course, is therapy sessions when kids are talking about hard things, scary, difficult things. Just we've discovered just having the dog in the room. The child doesn't have to be interacting with the dog or playing with the dog. Although lots of kids will, they'll get right on the floor and play with the dog. But even if the child isn't interested in actively engaging with the dog, they'll still feel uh, more comfortable, safer, more trusting. The trusting part is especially important because uh, we found that uh, the more traumatized a child is, the quicker they are to bond with these dogs. It's people who've hurt them. Exactly. The dogs are, are genuine and trustworthy. Yes, yes. Well, let me ask you, David, when you do a therapy session, do you have a handler in there with you or are you the handler? I'm the handler. And that's, uh, I got my lifetime uh, uh, certification from ECAD. But the big advantage is that in terms of confidentiality, I, I don't have to have somebody else in mm -hmm. the room to handle the dog. And uh, often the dog will just lay down and go to sleep, which is, uh, you know, one of the things they do best is, is to be so calm. And uh, they model that for the kids. And uh, it, since the dog is so calm, they're able to stay calmer. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's <laughs> That, that's what's so wonderful about them. When they participate in criminal trials, they have to sometimes sit there for long, long periods in the witness box, and it may not be very comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not much room to move around, and, and yet they, they're able to do that. They, they don't disrupt anything, which might have caused a mistrial. They're just totally quiet and calm. And uh, it enables the child to remain quiet and calm. Yeah, it's so impressive. I know it's it's so impressive how they can lay so quietly in the jury box and nobody even knows that knows they're, they're there. there. It reminds right. me of the service dogs on airplanes where they go underneath the seat and people don't know that they're there. And That's right. And I just love that they have the same training. That just makes so much sense to me. Yes. That, yes. that they have that same level of intense training that service dogs have to endure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Even though they don't use or we don't use nearly the number of commands that they know. Right, right. Um, and that they have been taught. Still, I wouldn't think of having a dog work with our population, uh, you know, very significantly traumatized children with less training. 
Oh, yes. And what I, one of the things I love about Assistance Dogs of the West is they now are providing trauma-informed training to their staff, Wonderful. which I love that. And, and it's so needed. Every agency needs that. And I'm sure it will yes. get to that point. Yes. But yeah, it is so important. And you know, and what I love too, is that all the different tasks that they know, the dogs know because they have the service dog training. I love to watch them use those skills to play games with yes. the children. Yes. Because it comes in so handy. You bet. Yeah, and I've listened to you do workshops about this, and recently I heard you, and I loved hearing you talk about how the dogs do play and interact. And there was one story that you shared about having a child write a letter to the dog. Tell us about that, David. I want our listeners to hear that one. Well, we had a project in 2014 in which we invited the children to write cards and letters to Ace. Ace was our only, he's a golden retriever. He's the senior member of our working dog faculty. He's 10 years old now. But um, we put mailboxes in each of the cottages so the kids could just drop their letter or card in the mailbox. And one of my interns would go by at the end of the week and collect the cards and letters. And he got 120 letters that year. And some of them were, you know, just expressing their love for Ace and how much he meant to them. And others, uh, they shared their trauma story with him. It was safer and easier for them to share it with Ace as a first step to being able to share it in their therapy sessions. So that was just uh, incredible. And uh, you might be remembering the uh, one time in a therapy session where the young woman who was 17 or so at the time said, um, you know, I, I would like to write to Ace about what my life story has been about, the, my trauma story. And as she started to write, Ace got up from the corner where he was laying and put his front paws on the desk and, and was leaning over her shoulder as if watching what she was writing. And she said, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that Ace would know that I was writing to him. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah. He never did that before or hasn't done it since, but it's just so and I know it's incredible. hard to articulate it. It is. Until yes. you really witness it, it's really hard to put it into words and to to fathom it. It it really is. And you would didn't you and your staff actually write letters back as ace? Yes. I had my interns respond to their letters. Some of them were saying, you know, I'm really worried about my mom or, or I'm feeling really homesick so and missing someone in their family. So they would write encouraging, positive notes back uh, from Ace. Of course, the kids realized that Ace wasn't actually writing these cards and letters, but it just thrilled them yeah. to get um, that card and letter and yes. to pretend that it was from Ace. Yes. Because because they know how much he, he 
he loves them. Yes, yes, them. yes. And he's there for them. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, David, really, what is the biggest lesson that you and your career have learned from the facility dogs that you've worked with so far? Well, it, it just humanizes the whole the whole setting in which we work with these kids, the whole culture, the whole context in which we work with these children in out-of-home placement. One 14-year-old girl during that year when they were writing letters just captured it beautifully. She said, thank you, Ace, for making the children's home a lovely place for children. And uh, I think that captures it. It just creates such a home-like, loving environment mm-hmm. that, um, that just seeing these dogs and being able to play with them and spend time with them uh, is really special to the kids and um, helps them get through hard times. Mm-hmm. You know, besides the therapy sessions, the formal sessions, some kids will, will tell me, I just need my ACE time or my mm-hmm. Marshall time or my <laughs> Elvis time. And they're right. They'll spend 10 or 15 minutes playing with, with the dogs or, or brushing them or talking to them, sometimes reading to them. One kid brought his guitar and played a song for him. <laughs> but, you know, but interacting with the dogs for 15 or 20 minutes, that's all they need. They're yeah. ready to go and yeah. they can cope with the rest of their day. It's so true, David. It is so true. I have just seen so many positive stories and, and also, you know, another big thing, too, that I've, I hear from a lot of courthouse facility dog handlers is that, especially in the criminal justice system, that they will continue through the process with a terrible case that a lot of times they would have not gone through with because it was so painful. But when a courthouse facility dog is involved, they feel connected to that dog that makes it much more, gives them more ability to go through that painful, painful experience. Yeah. In addition, more of the uh, defendants are pleading when they realize there's going to be a dog comforting the child witness. So they decide to uh, plead and spares the child going through a trial, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing. Yes, because they know that child's got support and is going to be stronger and able to express themselves, which is... That's right. Yeah, yeah. The past perpetrators counted on the fact that wouldn't be be able to Yes, exactly, to be more vulnerable. But when they have that dog with them, it gives them a level of confidence that is just... It's a superpower. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it it is. Well, David Crenshaw, I could talk to you about this all day, but I know you have to get back to your important work. But thank you. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you for being with us. And I hope you'll come back and tell us more about the wonderful work that you and your staff are doing with children and dogs. Love to. Thank you. And thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We love for you to join us. So please come back again and let's stay connected. You know you can reach us at 
Marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can follow Working Like Dogs on Facebook and Instagram. We love seeing your photos of your working dogs and the incredible work that they're doing every day. So thanks so much for being with us and take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.